Mach 3 Gimme Crew Show on 2, 3, 4. Mach 3, give me start, line 2. 5 electric. Mach 3, give me start, line 1. Crew show on 7 and 9. Line 1. Crew show 7 and 9. Do something. I hate buttons. Super Ops, line 3, Red Ball, Avionics. Super Ops. Line 7 is code 3 for light in the gear handle. Hey, so I started a Patreon because, frankly, this stuff's getting expensive. Nothing will change the podcast or the blog if you don't subscribe, but if you want early access to episodes, monthly AMAs, episode shoutouts, voting on podcast topics, and all kinds of 20 Years Done gear, head over to patreon.com slash 20 years done. This month's top-tier Patreon shoutout goes to Kevin Traw, Robbie Walker, Travis Barnes, JT Owens, and Delinda Baker. Thanks for the support. Okay, so today I'm joined by Eric Stromsky, who has joined me on multiple episodes, careerism, compliance culture, the QA discussion. The Were you there for the flight chief discussion too? Uh, no, 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 not that one. I didn't give a fuck of what your thoughts were on flight chief and huh? <laughs> no, and I <laughs> tell you the truth, I wasn't a flight chief for very long. So yeah, yeah I want to help too much on that one. That's fair. Uh, so uh, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, it's been a little bit. Yeah, I had way better guests on, so that's why I never... Uh... Yeah, I get it. I get it. I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I was telling Eric, like, the the best performing episode we have, uh, I have on the podcast, is the episode uh, that him and Ashley did for careerism, where we just basically deconstructed how the Air Force promotes the wrong people all the fucking time and focuses all on the wrong the shit. So, but after, you know, some of the recent episodes, uh, Eric wanted to share his thoughts on, uh, you know, stuff. Yeah, you know, you um, watching your episodes, right? So it, it really brings up, I mean, like I told you before, you, we could, I wish I could pause your episode and reach out into the middle of it because every episode you do, I'm sure many feel the same way I do. I can just relate to the, the certain topic you're talking about or have my own take on what you're, what you're discussing. You could list probably a thousand podcast titles. There's so many different things to talk about in every aspect and you can you can break one category down into this. You take leadership, for example. You could break that down into, you know, fifty podcasts probably just on leadership alone. So, you know, I just I wanted to reach out to you and, and you know we'll hit up a few different topics here and just general thoughts. You know, I mean, your podcasts are pretty specific to one topic, but sometimes I feel like you gotta have a, a smorgasbord of small topics, right? Well, I think that's kind of what's going on. Like, if you look at the, if you look at the progression of the of the podcast, I mean, obviously, it started not as a podcast, it was there's a pandemic, and I want to get some, some people together just to talk generally about what we learned in the Air Force. Um, and then we transitioned that to a podcast. So if you're new to the podcast, and you're like, man, this shit sounds great. Well, go back and listen to like the first four or five episodes where I'm sitting <laughs> on a Logitech gaming headset uh, and we're all on one audio track and there's no audio. I need to go back and fucking audio engineer those. I feel bad that I'm afflicting people with that bad audio. Nah, you, you got to leave them. They're, they're OG, OG podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it might as well be a record player, uh, like a right. manual record player. You crank at weird <laughs> speeds. But I, I kind of look back at the, it's very similar to the blog where the blog began telling stories about events in my career of these were good leaders. These were bad leaders. This is where I made this decision. This is how I made, I made this decision. And I didn't know what it was when I was making it. And it really eventually culminated in the the story that I referenced probably every, at least every other podcast of, you know, on 20 years done.com smoke doesn't always mean fire where it was really, I was trying to explain how I was prepared for that scenario and here's all the leadership lessons I learned along the way. And I can see how all of them apply. And I was, I had the tools at that moment in my mind. And there's probably at least one particular person out there or two that think that I was not a noble person or not an, at the moral high ground. But then it transitioned to critique of the Air Force. You know, I had uh, the crisis in aircraft maintenance where I really kind of took some of that background and rolled it into a broader topic. And I feel like the podcast is similar where I've, I've been kind of compartmentalizing these individual, very narrow issues in the Air Force. But especially recently with episode 30 and 31 with Mike, we were talking about maintenance culture in general. I feel like 
a lot of those issues I was, we were working through like me and you with compliance culture and careerism and how it rewards the wrong characteristics and leadership and volunteerism. And all of those contribute to the air force culture in general, but also maintenance culture specifically. So I think it's, I think recently it's just been trying to tie all of those loose threads together. And I think that's where I'm going to be for a little bit, I guess. Well, and there's a lot of threads, right. To tie together. I mean, like I told you, you could, you could break one cat, one category down or one specific topic and um, you know, how it relates to other career fields in the air force, how it relates to other branches of the military. Um, I mean, how it could even relate to what people do, you know, as civilians, like you take a Boeing, right. Boeing has a flight line and, you know, they, they have, you know, like up here in Seattle, there, there's a ton of Boeing right outside. And um, a lot of those guys are ex-military and like a flight line is a flight line, right. You know, there's a lot more different rules for civilians than are for military, but it could equate that all this stuff is relatable to a lot more different people than just, just maintenance in the air force. And especially specifically, you know, F-16 flight line maintenance. So much of what episode 30 and 31 was me kind of walking through a lot of regret that I had had in my behavior and trying to find a take responsibility for it, which goes to, if you look at, uh, and I also have, I have, now matured as a podcaster, I keep my episode list up. So that way I don't just blindly stab at episode numbers. When I quote, sure. them, I'll actually say the episode number for those listening for their benefit. But episode 15 with Scott Frisco and toxic leadership, that was me admitting that I had caused him a lot of harm and then emphatically apologizing. And I was very clear that it was, I am sorry for what I did to you. And I don't think there's a good excuse. And I understand that it was needlessly hurtful. So part of what the last couple of episodes were was really working through like, yeah, I contributed to this, but also like I'm taking responsibility for it. But what what helped mold me into the person that ended up ultimately being abusive, but looking at it in the culture of maintenance, it seemed fairly normal if I just wasn't a little bit better skilled at shitting on people, right? Right. My behavior, besides the fact a few outbursts here and there, was pretty normal, right? Well, run of the mill, right? Like you're, um, you know, as you grow up in that culture and your your leadership styles, we've all been to the ALSs and the NCO academies and, you know, they, they talk about leadership, but your your leadership style is really ingrained to you years before you go to those ALSs and the, yep. and the academies, right? It, it's, it's taught to you by example. And uh, we all talk about the old crusties that were and well before us, and people will talk about us like we're the old crusties well before them. It's passed down from generation to generation. And, and specifically, you know, the flight line alone, that is like the toughest place to work. You always alluded to how you got to have this really thick skin. I, I think there needs to be a serious shift in how people consider what they consider to be a leader and how they're presenting that to the people below them, because it's just, it gets passed down. So if you don't make a change somewhere, somehow, and, you know, you realize, you know, you and I, after 20 years of career, we, we realized we made some huge mistakes, yep. right? We, 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 we could have done things a little different. And even at the time, we, we probably knew it. We probably knew like, hey, this, this isn't the way to treat someone. This isn't the way to get the best out of the people below us. And I, I think that's one of the biggest charges that you're supposed to, as a leader, to be able to get the best out of the people below you. You need to pull it out of them, right? Yep. Some are shy or some are harder to get to. Some, some it comes natural to, right? And you have to grow them into your position because we're not there anymore. So what I essentially feel like what happened to us is we may have left a bunch of people behind us that, that we now understand is not correct, right? Were we good leaders? Did, did we show these people that there's different ways to, to lead and to I mean, just to even treat a human being in general, right? Yeah. Like sometimes I know we definitely, I mean, in the pro super office alone, I mean, we really got into some, some people's shit, right? And a lot of times I feel like it was more for fun almost than growing or growing or grooming that airman or staff sergeant or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, we talk about things we would have done different. I, I think back to a few times where, you know, just the amount of beratement that you put someone through standing in front of your desk and giving them hell, that's acceptable. But yeah. let me tell you what, it, it doesn't work. It definitely doesn't work. Much of my abuse and toxicity, I initially attributed to being in production. That was something that I thought I had identified very early, well, not early, but in in my production stint, 
I was like, I'm evil in production. I'm evil in production. But the reality with the Scott Frisco thing was I was evil outside production. Right. Right. And I say evil, not in like the biblical sense, just, you know, <laughs> sure. Like the devil didn't inhabit my body, (laughs) but like I was fucking mean. I was mean spirited, we'll say. And I thought it was production. I think it was certainly exacerbated by production, but it wasn't exclusive to production. But I think very often in production, you see people in a very binary way, either they're perfect and they produce or they're imperfect and they don't produce. And for some reason, when they're imperfect and don't produce, it feels like it gives you this license to just fucking blame them for the fact your schedule isn't full, blame them for being inexperienced, blame them, you know, and it's, it goes back to, you know, episode 30 talking about just an, it's just an anger dump. You just have this ball and you're just looking for a fucking excuse. And it happens to be that guy standing at your desk and it just, you just fucking unload it. Well, and I, I feel like it's a culmination of there, there's so many things that are well beyond our, our capability to change. Right. Yeah. And we, I cannot change directives from the chief master of the Air Force. We cannot change Air Force regulation, right? We, there's certain things we can't change. And years and years of that frustration building up where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you talk about the decline in, in, in maintainers, but the sorties staying the same, you know, sortie generation actually upticking. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it balls up. I don't know if it was episode 30 or 31, but you talked about how, we carry this with us, this anger and boy, by the, by the time you're in charge of someone, yeah, you, you've had years of this now. And now authority too, right? Well, that's right. That's a years of, of, of like compressed resentment, frustration and authority. Right. Well, that's a good that's a combo, bad, huh? Oh man. I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, if we, if we were cops, it'd, we'd be in big yeah. trouble. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll tell you that they, when you look back and, what, what the Air Force should be teaching people is realizing that you you build and create these different people in the moment, in a mm. moment, in one specific moment, not necessarily over a month of or two years of supervision. It's one specific moment at a time. And, you know, we, we do a terrible job with dealing with our our emotions and and our, you know, our problems we have. We, I know you've talked about going to mental health before, and I, I think more people should just make it a regular thing, right? You, you have to go to PT every day to stay fit, right? You have to work out and run and lift weights and whatever you do. Mm-hmm. What do you do yourself for yourself mentally to be able to handle that? And you take all this years of frustration and all this living in the suck, which is part of what makes working on the flight line great, Yep. right? It builds bonds. But it also, yeah, it, it, it splits both ways. But how do you deal with that, right? How do you, how do you deal with the, the constant stress, the constant push you get from the top down, and then all of a sudden there's airman dumbass in front of your desk that lost the tool, you know, at yeah. an hour left to go on your shift and you explode all over this yep. dude, right? Or a gal, right? Those moments is what I think needs to change. And that's probably something that if I could reflect back on my career, I would have done completely different, right? I would have handled it a whole different way. Were you, I know, let's see, I know Jeffries was, and I'd like to think Jeffries is listening too. And Jeffries, if you're listening, uh, shoot me a message so you can vouch for this story. Were you there that night? where that one dude came over mock and he was doing like some playful radio call and I called him on the phone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Remember? Yeah. He was, um, I was like holding the phone away so I couldn't hear the words he was saying and I was screaming. Right. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. You, he was, um, he was using this weird voice or something. Yeah, he was doing. He was calling like some weather thing, and I needed to call a guy out the jet to see what the status of the gun install was because obviously that fucking mattered. I, I, whatever. And he was doing like, oh, it's a balmy seventy-eight degrees at four thousand two hundred feet here at Holloman Air Force right. Base, Mexico, and we're kicking it live with the weather. And and I was right. like constantly trying and let, like let's put that in perspective. I had to wait thirty seconds <laughs> to ask my weapons expediter a status update which spoiler it's weapons there is no update (laughs) i fucking i lost it right it goes back to episode 31 like military bearing is such a one-sided thing you have to have military bearing when you're getting your ass chewed but there's no real checks and balances on military bearing when you're just fucking totally off the rail no well i mean you i mean who i don't know who brought it up about basic training like the TIs are losing their military bearing. Like that's the whole basis of it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, 
being being the senior NCO or the the, the ranking ranking individual, you know, you're supposed to keep your calm. You're supposed yep. to keep your cool. You're su- you're not supposed to parade these 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 airmen, these young people, and you know, even a chief to a master sergeant or a chief to a senior, you're supposed to keep your cool. That's what military bearing is supposed to represent. Not let me lose my shit whenever I think it's appropriate, right? Or wherever I think it's going to impact. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are some people that respond very well to criticism, not, not criticism, but, um, you know, the, the yelling, the, the beraiment, some people respond well to that, right? And, I think it's a much lower number than we think. True, right? Well, I mean, I, I know me personally, when I was young and I got my ass chewed and yelled at, I, I, I responded well to that. Now, right? when you say we responded well, it means you began complying with whatever they're yelling at you about. But later you manifested the same behavior with the yelling, True. right? But it made it made me think about the mistake I had made, right? Sure. Like seriously think about it, right? It didn't happen often. I wasn't I wasn't a troublemaker. I was you're running a mill, you know, average type of airman and stuff. I would I say you're running the mill. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty fair. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to have run of the mill guests on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, you don't want to raise the bar too high, right? So I'll make sure I'll tell Colonel Moore that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. He listens. I'm going to edit that out. He'll never know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really, um, when you're treating someone that way and, and they don't respond or whatever, it, you take that one single moment to, to try and you can make a big difference, right? And like you said, you're screaming and yelling about this guy and mock. Hey, maybe he brought some joy to people over the radio because it was, it was funny, right? But you didn't find it funny at the time. When you blew up and lost your shit all over and there's other people around, people could hear you outside the office. Yeah. Hey, some people reacted well to that, like, oh, get him, Chris McGee or Sergeant McGee. Other people are like, man, what a dick. I'm like, why has he got to be like that? You just don't know how people are going to react. But man, I'll tell you, that military bearing, that's, that's definitely something that we lose sight of as senior NCOs and people in positions of authority. You know, that's, that's an accurate statement. And now juxtapose that, like we talked before we started recording, uh, since I retired, I pretty much have not been in a supervisory role just because of the way my post-retirement career kind of went. Now I'm in law school, so you know I get to play student or whatever. But you've been a supervisor pretty much since you retired, right? So right. I want you to imagine yours and my worst behavior that you can remember us both manifesting. You know, Holloman for me certainly was probably the pinnacle. I want you to imagine if that was happening at your job. <laughs> right. Well, I'll, let me tell you what. The short and very short, sweet answer to that is I, w- I would not have a job. Right. How right? long? How long do you think? Oh, it would be instant. Would, so would you even get a warning? Like, let's do the phone no. screaming. No, no, <laughs> no. So let me let me explain something. And now, granted, I, you know, I'm not going to name where I work or anything, sure. but I've had a staff of between 30 to 35 people that report directly to me. So I'm writing their performance appraisals every year. Um, I have a manager that was ahead above me and then a director above him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then above our director was our vice president and then the CEO of the company. Okay. So we, um, there was a time and there was a lady down in my receiving dock, right? So she lost her cool. So me and my manager were on the floor, we were doing our walk around and we, I had a lead that works for me. So I was kind of like, you know, it'd be like a, like an expediter, I guess. Right. And my lead was down there in first stage interacting with this, this lady. And this lady was like, you could hear her all the way down. She was screaming and yelling. I don't know exactly what about, but then she dropped the F-bomb. She's like, fuck this and fuck that. And my manager was standing there and he's like, did you hear that? I said, I did. And we walked down there and we grabbed her badge and we walked her straight out the door. Because she was dropping F-bombs? Yep. I have an F-bomb in my podcast intro. Unprofessional <laughs> behavior, right? So you got to remember, we are working for a corporation. Yeah. And you represent that. Absolutely. And uh, we grabbed her badge. He walked her right out the door and we ends up, you know, he probably should have taken her to HR first, but he set an example right there on the floor. This, this will not be tolerated period, right? You lose your temper. You start swearing and cussing on the floor because the premise is we could have customers. We could have clients on the floor hearing this behavior. So if you're going to invest a couple million bucks in a program in my company, and you're walking around and you hear this lady screaming F-bombs, right? Yeah. How professional is that? Yeah. So she was walked out the instant, almost the instant she had said that. There was no asking her to calm down. There was no giving her a second chance. And you're not, a, your, you're not a white collar environment, right? Like it's like yeah. blue collar. It's, it's, right. it's manufacturing of it's, 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 it's something. It, 
Right. It's uh, manufacturing. Right. I, um, half my job takes place in a warehouse. The other half takes place in an inspection room. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is night and day between what happens with civilians versus what happens in the military. And the behavior you and I and hundreds and thousands of people before us and thousands of people after us absolutely positively does not fly in the civilian sector. There is no, there's not even a shred. You can't even make a joke about someone's appearance or anything. You so, could be fired for it. I guess the argument, the counter argument is the military is engaged with state sponsored killing, right? Right. We have 17 to 40 year old men doing infantry special forces where their job is to go there and put bullets in all these people. We have, we're trained pilots to blow up this and that where violence, you know, certainly violence is a much greater harm than words. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, you know, part of the argument is, well, aircraft maintenance is a tough place and these words shouldn't, you should be strong enough where these words don't matter. Sure. Right. And that's a, that's a fair argument. But if you're looking at, so l let's take the Singapore Air Force, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. One time we were TDY in Vegas. Okay. And we were, here it was, Holloman Air Force Base lined up on one ramp and then the Singapore lined up on the next. Right. Mm -hmm. Watching them launch their jets is like watching our Thunderbirds launch. Yeah. Okay. When we were doing our Friday launches, right. The guys out there doing the flash dance, uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Rollins, one of the funniest shit I've ever seen when he cracked the beer, when Crystal had her incentive flight, mm -hmm. we were turned in by the Singapore Air Force for being unprofessional on the flight line. Now, granted, it's a dangerous environment, and I understand that, but hey, look, these guys are out there it's having morale. fun. Yeah, yeah. Why is it acceptable for the United States Air Force to act that way? This other Air Force, they do the same thing we do. They go out there and drop bombs and kill people, right? But like I said, they turned us in, and it was the wing commander at the time for Red Flag. He had it out with our, our OIC and she was really nervous. And of course she calls back to the base and our, our commander was like, ah, no problem. Right. You're, you're good to go. But you see the difference, right. Yeah. In, in professionalism and, and uh, the way you're supposed to conduct yourself and carry yourself. We've made it okay in the maintenance career field to, you can say the word fuck, right. You're on the fly line, yep. turning wrenches. I know you go work for Boeing on the fly line, you turn wrench, say, fuck, no one's going to turn you in. But I think there's uh, a big difference between, man, this fucking part sucks. And right. fuck you, fuck you, fuck this right. place, fuck it all. Right? That's, that's right. different, right? Big time. True. You know. Um, you know, and here's what I would say, too. Because, uh, I, I mean, we were at Luke for a long time. Yeah. Not necessarily of our, of our choosing. And I would challenge... Any AMU out there that you do not do maintenance as well as the Singaporeans. Right. I have, I, 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 I say that with it. the utmost confidence that what I'm saying right. is going to be universally accepted to be an objective truth. Anybody that has worked with the Singaporeans that see, but you know what I would argue? They're resourced. They have you know, like four or five people per jet. They have hydraulic troops. They have engine troops. Engine troops exclusively do the engine runs that are high power. Right. Never do. They also are all like E7s, E8s, right? Or a huge chunk of them are. Isn't there a service um, mandatory? Don't I don't know if I don't know if it is, but I also know that coming to America is like the best of the best are chosen. Right. From from that country, like on the on a rotation. So like they don't need to drop their pants on a Friday <laughs> launch because their morale is just maintained organizationally. They don't have well, to fabricate these outlandish things just to remind the the world that they're still alive. That could be it. That could be it. You know, it could be, you know, they have newer equipment, better jets, they fly better, they're broke less, you know, they're properly staffed which is a whole different topic, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're funded well, but even though all that may be true and it, it could equate to equate to it, you can't, you can't tell me that we couldn't operate as an air force without that kind of behavior, right? You can't say that the fly line wouldn't function properly without correct with, without, you know, right. flash dance Fridays. Right now, as fun as it is, once again, we're talking about, the point of the difference between being in the military and being a civilian. And you brought the point like, Hey, you know, well, 
even civilians, civilian worlds, you're underfunded and understaffed. I mean, right now I got so much work coming out of my ears, right? We're working 12 hour shifts and weekends, Mm -hmm. right? Granted, the difference is they're getting paid for it. These these hourly. And they can also quit. Well, they can also say no. Get this. Say no. Say, I'm not coming in Saturday. So I can put an email to my staff and say, it's mandatory for you to be here on Saturday, right? I get a phone call Saturday morning saying, Eric, I feel sick. I'm not coming in. That's as far as it goes. I can't do anything about it. Right? Okay. The 21st, they would have a policy that if you requested vacation and they denied it, if you called in sick that day, I think you were like automatically fired. So it all it did was it created an incentive of like I like when I was job hunting in Boston and I was flying Space A, I was because of my uh, my ex-wife's uh, flight benefits because she worked for uh, yeah. an airline. Like I was like, which was also so cool because I was so used to the military. I was like, I'm going to fly to Boston on Friday and I, it's space available and I might not get there and I might not be able to right. get back. And I don't give a fuck if I don't right. come back because it's a civilian job. And I would just, right. I would just, I would never tell them in advance. I was get, asked for the day off because they could say no. And then if I called out sick, I would get fired. I would just surprise them calling out sick. Right. Because there's nothing they can do. And I can almost argue, you know, that I, I can't say people don't feel the same uh, allegiance to their civilian job as they would in the military, right? Yep. So like, I know for a fact, if I was uh, one of the only two engine troops on swing shift and I knew there was a shit ton of work and I and I called out sick on purpose because I wanted to go fuck off, I would feel really bad for that guy and I, I probably wouldn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. I would go into work and suck it up and go into work. As a civilian though, they don't really think about that when they when they make these call outs and they you know they say, hey, well, I'm calling out sick, whatever. They only care about themselves to to a certain extent. There are definitely people I work with that have been with the company for, you know, 15, 20 years that will, they'll die for that company, right? Yep. They have the same allegiance to that, but that's the, that's the minority, not the majority for sure. And a lot of people use, you know, they, they move on from career to career and there's no real allegiance where, you know, Hey, a lot of hard work as a civilian, you get paid well for it in some jobs. You know, I can't speak for everyone in the military, a lot of hard works, long hours, but for some difference, the camaraderie and the bond is much stronger in the military than it is as a civilian, right? Overall, generally speaking. Um, so that, you know, that's that's one thing that allows the culture to kind of develop the way it does mm-hmm. because it's a it's a closer bond, right? Mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable sitting here in front of you saying the word fuck than I would if I sat in front of my manager right now, right? I, I wouldn't say that in front of him right now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know him as well, but we definitely worked together a long time for three years, mm-hmm. right? Totally different feeling. Right. And I don't know what it is. Oh, no, actually, that's a good point. Like um, I share this podcast on LinkedIn occasionally when it's a less controversial topic or when I'm not calling particular Air Force leaders incompetent fools or if it's just, uh, you know, like the the softer topics. But I'm very self-conscious about how often I drop F-bombs when it's shared there. Right. Well, it's a more professional environment, right? Like right. I'm not saying the military is not professional because there's most definitely a level of professionalism when you're sitting in that production meeting and the colonel walks in and you got chiefs in there and majors and everyone and like you're it's a professional it should be a professional atmosphere but it's the same way you you have a meeting and personally your your ceo walks in your director walks in the regional director walks in it's a professional atmosphere and yeah. but it still feels completely different yeah right it does you know and some's good and some's bad you yelling at that guy on the phone and mock you're definitely not making that same conversation if it's happening in the civilian world, you're not, you're just not doing it. Oh no. Right. But you know that, but why, why is it so different? Why is it acceptable to be like that in the air force and the military, but it's not acceptable in the civilian world. You could be doing the exact same job. Because I think in the military, especially in aircraft maintenance, they give you a lot of fucking latitude. If you can produce whatever it is, your AFSC is. Cause I mean, think about it. Like, I was, you you know, this isn't me like bragging or anything, but I was very often sought after as an expert on F-16s, as as a pro super or whatever, even though I'm sure, and I'm sure you were probably privy to those conversations. It was, we could get McGee in here, but fuck, man. He brings so much baggage with how fucking angry he is, right? Well, you know what? I've most definitely sat in a few of those conversations in the 311, right? Especially when I talked about being, you know, pro supers and flight chiefs and who could fill in for what. Uh, TDYs and everything. Hey, you're no doubt. Chris McGee got people to produce, mm-hmm. right? Certain, certain pro supers can get people to produce, right? Now, whether it's a balance of how the how the airmen below you 
respect you or maybe or fear you. Yeah, it could be. I mean, there could be a multitude of things, right? You have no idea how they're going to react. Um, it doesn't matter. They don't care how you got them to produce. They just yep. care that the fact that, hey, every time Chris Supers on nighttime, we have a full lineup the next yep. day. Jets are all greened up, right? Whether it's a good green up or not, but most of the time it should be if Chris McGee's being a super because you know he's going to question the damn fix no matter what it is. So, yeah, you want that guy in charge, but they've turned a blind eye, right? What if you were completely abusive to these people and they were afraid of shit? You know, I can't, I'm not going to get Chris on bad side. Every day, there's a meeting in preparation for a meeting in preparation for a meeting in preparation for the group meeting. Yeah. And at that group meeting, they go through all the aircraft availability, where are the parts at, what's it waiting on, what's the e-tech, what do we need, who's working it, when's it going to be done, what are we looking like for tomorrow, what are we looking like for second go? So, of course, they're going to accept all of my baggage. I mean, we'll just say emotional or mental baggage, whatever you want to fucking label it, because the only measure of their success in a unit is the slideshow, which is only aircraft availability, period. Right. The group commander is not asking how many of your crew chiefs are going to mental health. Hey. How many of your crew chiefs started going to mental health after McGee took over uh, a swing shift super? Think about this. What if your what if your promotion was based off the rating the people below you gave? So right? I love that idea, but I don't know how that would work in the military where you have command structure and authority. I just don't know. Right. But I mean just you think the E4 mafia is bad now? You fucking you have them decide which master sergeant gets promoted. But maybe not that far down. But think about <laughs> it. Let's let's say if you took um let's say you took a senior master sergeant who was the uh, assistant superintendent for AMU, right? So let's and, let's just throw out. Uh, I don't know. I wrote a story called "When a Leader's a Shit Leader" and "When a Leader's a Shit Leader Part Two. If you yeah. want to use that particular person and that maybe that scenarios as a good base for this hypothetical, you can pause the podcast, go back and read it, or whatever. Highly recommend it. Right. Good stories with audio as well. But continue, Eric. Sorry. Great stories. Great. Let's say you take that in that specific individual mm-hmm. as a as a senior mass sergeant and. The commander, the colonel or the major, whoever has to look at his package and promote him, decide to promote him or not, the board he goes up to, let me go. I want to go and talk to the six master sergeants that he supervises directly. And there should be a, mir- a, a, a whole bunch of different, a, a weapons guy, an engine guy, a crew chief. Who knows? It could be a guy in debrief, right? It could be, you know, who knows? You get and sit there and talk to them to get a real feel about how this person is as a leader, Right. And then you couple that with the AMU stats and the, how well they're doing and, you know, she had awards and all that crap that goes along with promotion. But I would be shocked if that guy actually didn't even lose a stripe. If, if, if someone actually took the time to talk to the people he directly supervised, I, I would, if that was the case, if that's how he got promoted, he would be a, he would be a mass sergeant. He, they would take a stripe from that guy based off the feedback from the individuals below him. That speaks volumes now, when, you're, when your people below you are saying, man, this guy is awesome. He does whatever he can for me. And they give these stories. Hey, this guy was, you know, he, he took me home one night when my wife divorced me. And, you know, he, you know, he did this, sure. he did that. He stayed late with us. He helped us install this engine, blah, blah, blah. That's the guy, I mean, that's the guy that you want moving up that people respect. I wonder how different my behavior would have, well, besides the fact that I was mostly not concerned with promotion, but let's, let's pretend I was, right? Sure. Yeah. I wonder how different my behavior would have been if all my expediters decided my performance report. I, I wouldn't say specifically that they would decide your performance report, but it definitely would have. Yeah. Right. Contribute to the data points. Right. I, I think your behavior might have been modified slightly, but you are who you are. But think about if that change is kind of instilled where they actually take feedback from the people that you, su- you directly supervise or maybe you're a lead super and you only have two guys you direct the supervisors or three guys, you know, maybe taking people below them. But I think your behavior would have been altered a little bit, but you are who you are, right? And we all know people do certain things to get promoted and that's the only reason they do them, right? Mm-hmm. We all know sure. people, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go volunteer and, and lead the wing, wing promotion ceremony because I want to try and make senior chief or something, right? That's Some people are strictly motivated by that. But I, I feel like, you may have walked on a little more eggshells and been a little more courteous and maybe actually tried to grow your people and get them to respect you a different way than through fear. Well, or- in fair in fairness, I thought I was good and 
I mean, I knew I had some issues, but well, you had a pass, right? You had a pass. And I, I, I'm saying this, you had a pass because you were so good and people yep. respected you because you were so good at your job. Mm-hmm. So if picture you as a weapons guy, as a weapons guy running a crew chief office, right. Mm-hmm. Or running the, the flight lines, a weapons guy, I'm not saying they couldn't do it, but your, your knowledge for the entire aircraft and how it worked and how everything should be regulations. And they respected you for that for sure. Right. Hey, Sergeant McGee, you can't, you can't go up there with some bullshit fix with Sergeant McGee. He's going to sit down and he's going to look at it. That's a respectable point for them to look at for you. But then again, Oh, don't screw up. Sergeant McGee is going to give it to you. Right. Yeah. And it could be an honest mistake. Hey, Sergeant McGee, I dropped the socket into the, in the, in yeah. the engine bay. Right. And you, and all of a sudden you're. Yeah. Because it's all the other things and I'm just looking at, and you're just the physical manifestation of all my other shit I'm angry about that doesn't, is nebulous. It's going to funnel that shit right into you. Picture the same respect they have for you or whoever, mm-hmm. because you're, expertise and maintenance and how good you are at your job. And then you take away that fear and add a little more respect. Hey, Sergeant McGee, he, he you know, he didn't jump down my shit when I dropped the socket. He helped yep. us look for it. You know, he, he was cool about it. You know, he, he got the other guys to understand it was a mistake. And we all, you know, we're all here for each other. Right. What if that was the case? You would, you would be unstoppable. Really? I mean, what's so bizarre, especially in my career. And I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not even sure what this adds to the conversation, but I think it's important because after episode 30 and 31, I don't want to be misconstrued right. as a fucking raging psychopath. Right. No, but, you, like, yeah, yeah. but like what you're describing, there's there's a lot of people that worked for me that thought I was smart and also had ha- had and have like undying respect for how I treated them, uh, took care of them as a leader. I just don't, you know, I think there was, I was definitely well, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. For sure. Right. I was a totally different de- person for that, for each person. And, and as a leader, you, you know, I, I, I can't remember what episode I was talking about with this, but everyone reacts different to leadership, right? Yeah. We talked about earlier, some people respond well to maybe being berated or, you know, some people, oh my gosh, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let them down. Right. I'm gonna let my supervisor down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the team down. Um, I hear the word team a lot now that I'm out, right. The word team comes up all the time. Great job team. You know, and it, to me, being ex-military, it feels a little superficial and a, yep. a little bullshit to me. But to them, it's not. It's hey, we are a team. We're we're in this together, right? And they they maybe don't understand the true meaning of team being a team member. But regardless, you never see them break away from giving other people credit so much. Um, there's not a lot of, and I can only speak from my personal experience right now. But there's not there's not a lot of uh, me 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 because right. you you get paid to do a certain job and you pl- you have to apply for other jobs. You know, and you get promoted based on your your work and who you are, but you know, awards and all that crap that means nothing, right, in the civilian sector. But uh, imagine you now you think back in your career and, and you take people leaders like this. You think back and say, "Hey, I was really good at my job. I was technically proficient. I was the expert. People trusted my opinion on that. Also, I really genuinely care about this guy and gal. Also, I understand that everyone reacts a little different to different leadership styles." And treating everyone the same by blowing out about them when they're an idiot, right? That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't fit the mold for all people. And not knowing your people and how they respond to different things. I mean, we all we all could lay out, you know, we could name 10 guys off the top of our head that are that are, hey, they they're fine with getting berated, they're fine with getting yep. their ass chewed, right? And they'll and they'll come back and they're not gonna worry about it. It's not gonna bother them, right? They'll just learn from their mistake and they'll move on, right? We also can name probably double the amount of people that would just totally put them in their shell. Yep. I mean, we've made people cry on the flight line before, Chris, mm-hmm. right? Literally cry, like grown men, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we don't allude to them as grown men, but they're grown men. They're mm-hmm. 25, 26 year olds and they're bawling their eyes out, right? Mm-hmm. Because of something we said or did to them. Yep. I, I had a female, she was losing her shit and she was bawling her eyes out. She was, she was obviously stressed and overwhelmed, right? And I completely, completely disregarded all that, right? I don't give a shit. I'm like, yep. you know, we bring up military bearing. I said, stop losing your military yeah. bearing in front of these yeah, people. It's so fucking and, terrible. And meanwhile, I'm screaming and yelling at her. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I look back on that instant and I feel absolutely terrible that that yep. happened, you know, and I could never do that to this day to, you know, a civilian. First of all, I, I, like I told you, I get fired for sure. But secondly, they're, they're human beings, right? They, they're not a machine. They're not, they're not there just to produce that jet. Everyone, you go home, you got a whole different life going on. Right. So, so there's what's going on in the flight line. There's also I've heard that 
the, the high stakes of aircraft maintenance, where if you cut a corner, if you do something wrong, someone can very well die. Either the guy next to you because you didn't torque down the tank and it fell off when you dropped the dolly and now they're crushed to death or the pilot or anything else, that that is a sufficient justification to every once in a while ripping somebody a new asshole because they need to up their standards in order to not kill someone. You know, I don't think that's a valid argument. And I'll tell you why. There's plenty of civilian jobs out there where people's lives are in danger, right? You work on electrical components of aircraft that get installed and you're not paying attention to that circuit board and it fries and causes a fire. And, you know, you, you could allude to a thousand different scenarios where you're, you're putting people's lives at risk, right? Even down to the auto mechanic who's doing your brakes. I, I, That's I, fair. Right? He fucks your brakes up or doesn't, you know, and you're, and you're dead. You go through an intersection, you're toast, right? You, you can't use that as an excuse because the high stress of the job. I mean, police officers and firemen and, you know, even doctors. They In got, fairness, police officers are yelling all the fucking time. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But you know what? I don't think firemen are. Uh, I think they're only yelling over the over the sirens and the sound of the blaze. That's true. It's also like what be. what is their intent? They're like, "Come with me if you want to live." I know I'm quoting Arnold Schwarzenegger here, but like that's what they're saying. They're probably yelling, but it's totally right. different than yeah. when it's somebody totally that has yell. authority and anger right. and rage yelling at you, and you can't escape that. Right. right. I think there, you know, there is maybe a certain level of pass based on the stressors of the job, right? Mm-hmm. But the stress of the job should not be an automatic pass for the behavior exuded during the job, right? So I would argue that the more the Air Force mismanages aircraft maintenance, and I, I can't rehash all the things, but sure. if this is the first time listening to this podcast, fucking start over. Yeah. <laughs> listen and then come back. But doesn't the Air Force have an onus or doesn't the Air Force have a responsibility that, that as they mismanage the fleet and they mismanage the entire maintenance apparatus and they cause widespread stress on every fucking maintainer, doesn't that eventually create some sort of justification for everybody walking around all keyed up? Well, no, it, once again, it's, it's a, it may be a reason, but not an excuse. That's fair. Right. Now, what I know we've talked about this in the past too, mental health to people in the air force, right. Or any branch of the military should be almost a top priority. I don't give a shit if you can run around the track in in 20 minutes, you know, and you're, and you got a beer belly, right. If you're a crew chief or engine guy, I don't give a shit about that. I don't give a fuck. Nope. But if you're mentally incapable or you're, you're carrying around this baggage all day and you're going to lose it one day and look, it causes way more problems than just yelling at someone and swearing at them. Sleep deprivation. You forget a step. We talk about how dangerous it is in the fly line. Now, me personally, I, I never really felt that danger where like, man, I'm really, it could be wrong, but, you know, I worked on engines and bearings and test cells and, you know, all the aircraft, maybe because I always did my job the way it was supposed to get done, right? But if I didn't torque that panel down or that, you know, those 500 screws on a panel or the augmenter nozzle, if I didn't use a torque wrench and all those, I'm not, I'm not losing any sleep at night, mm-hmm. put it that way. But we've seen it. People, they get tired, they get yeah. complacent, they're stressed and you know, uh, I think at Holloman, someone got sucked up in that gear, right? It was a late night and they were working hard and, you know, who knows how many hours they were out there. That that could have easily been, I just totally forgot where I was. You know, I, I missed a step. I And it's it's human nature. People forget things. And the Air Force needs to deal with that quickly. They got to find a way to make sure people's mental health is up to par. Because that job in the flight line, if you're not there in your head, you, you walk in front of an intake and see ya, right? Or maybe you're you're you forget a flashlight up there and it gets sucked up and you don't follow your procedures and you ruin a whole engine, right? I mean, a thousand things could happen, but we do a terrible job with that. Well, what we do is we teach resiliency. No, we don't. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Because well, guess, there was a PowerPoint. Well, I guess how do you? Yeah, okay, so how do you develop resiliency? And I'll tell you what. Uh, Curtis is listening right now and he's like, this motherfucker introduced the topic I've been trying to talk about <laughs> for a month to Stromsky. <laughs> Fuck you, Chris. Like Curtis has told me offline, he's like, the Air Force is terrible with resiliency. We we try to teach it as this sort of sterile academic sort of thing. And the re- reality is resiliency, and I'm paraphrasing, and uh, I promise He'll be on yeah. a day after this episode airs. Um, yeah. You know, resiliency is through experience. 
and and being able to be tested in adverse places and and succeeding relying on processes and systems and people to support you to get through that difficult thing and you come out the other side and you look back and go I did it I can do it and I can do more next time and that's how resiliency right. is built right it's not from slideshows it's not from you know mind meditation and mindfulness I mean those are all great things but that's the barbecue at the right. at the end of the week that only works when you're already healthy and you're and you're right. adding a little bit more to it. Like sure. we've been in that unit is a fucking dumpster fire of a bunch of selfish, idiotic leaders that behind closed doors treat people like they're expendable, stupid, and their emotions are an inconvenience. Right. Like we work for those people and then they'll turn around and go, we need to do a burger burn this Friday. And it's like, you know what? I wish you would just fucking be a human being. And treat people with respect and fuck the burger burn. So, so resiliency yeah. training is the burger burn where you're not doing the real work, which is giving your people the, the necessary infrastructure that they can be resilient. And maybe that's why I right. get so fucking angry at all the resiliency bullshit. Because it's like, the, on the one hand, the Air Force is giving you this horrible fucking environment that's mismanaged. And then they're not even giving you like a real foundation for resiliency. They're, they're slapping, you know, just whatever together. Let me tell you what, being out for about almost three years now, I, I had never felt so much pressure in, the, in, my, in my three years than I ever did in the military. I felt so much pressure in the military for so many different aspects, promotion, uh, sortie generation, um, shit, even even down to morning meetings, you know, right? You know, having being prepared for the morning meetings, the stress level when you when you when you get out, you know, you have your family to take care of, and you got to earn a paycheck, right? Yep. And let's just boil it down to like your your basic needs, right? You know, you got to eat, you got to have shelter and clothing. Man, it's much different because I know that I go to work, do my job for X amount of hours, and I don't, you know, not in every job, but you don't have to take it home. Yep. The Air Force, it's a it's a lifestyle. It's a you're it's it's everything you are. And it's something you constantly think about and think about when you get out, right? You go to parties at your friend's house and you go to relax and drink a few beers. What do you guys end up talking about? Work or this certain person or something that happened. What are we doing now, Eric? Right. Well, true. <laughs> this is different though because, because. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I told you the bar's not very high, right? That's fair. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I just feel like the, the amount of stress and the overall environment and the overall, the way people choose or taught to lead people. And, you know, it just goes round and round and round and round. And it's like, how do you, how do you break the cycle? Imagine, imagine a, a chief telling the ops commander, we're not, we're not flying this many sorties, period. I'm, I'm not doing it. Right. We're, we're not working these long hours. We're not doing this. We're going to take this month and get healthy. When have you ever really, we saw a glimpse of that in the 311th with Colonel Chisholm, right. And when we were just kind of like on the yeah. same page about ops and, you know, everything, but man, that's really rare to have that, you know, and you, you talked about how sortie generation has stayed the same or gone higher where man has gone down, uh, iron's getting old. That all adds up quickly and you can't, you know, how, how do you teach these people to deal with that and be, and be successful over and over and over again. And you're just putting that same stress on the exact same generation that came before you and the generation that's coming after you. It, it just trickles down over and over. It's got it. Something's got to change eventually. I don't understand how we can just keep going like this. I just don't. You mentioned that it, it, it certainly happens in maintenance, and that was where the you know the vast majority of my my career was, besides a few little short stints in. Well, I mean, it's still maintenance, but him baby, <laughs> <laughs> the pinnacle of my career, <laughs> product improvement manager. Uh, I, I tell you what, you know what product I improved? The gym at Holloman is what hey, I improved. right. And your putting got a lot better too. That's fair. That. Uh, so maintainers, when we get together, especially like swing shifters, it seems like even more so when there's a house party or whatever, we talk about work oh. the whole time. Right. And I suspect that this podcast is essentially the same thing. It, it is. And I think part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to make sense of that 
Because m- most of the time when you're a bunch of maintainers on a Saturday drinking beers at 7 o'clock in the morning because you're swing shifters and that's like your 7 p.m. And there's like six of you sitting around and you're talking about work. What you're talking about is what was terrible? Why was it terrible? Who's good? What's good? Who do you like working for? What went right? What what jet did you fix? What was the fix? How did you find that fix? It's literally just sitting around and you're trying to make sense of all this data since the last time you got to like really churn through it. Because the reality is when you got your foot on the gas Monday through Saturday or whatever, and you're, you have all these competing interests, you don't have time to reflect on what, what the, what the culture is like, what work is like besides those few smoke pit little stops here and there. And, and these sort of things where you get some heavy, I mean, part of the reason like we, like I used to love to do heavy maintenance is I'm in the hangar. It's not noisy necessarily. It's me and like one or two other people. We're sitting down and we're doing this big complex task and we just get to talk and listen right. to maybe listen to Metallica or something. We get to talk, get to know them. You won't, you want to pick that person that is good at maintenance, but also is not a fucking weirdo, which goes back to right. the Bible <laughs> thing. I mean, you'll still take right. the guy that's good if that's all you got. But, you know, part of that is I think, I think what you're talking about, I think, boy, such a good point, Eric. I think. The mental health vacuum that people in maintenance experience, I think they're basically, they're they're doing a patchwork, a social patchwork, putting together these little informal conversations to try to work through how terrible it is in this moment at this time and just make sense of it. I, I think it's a big, it's a big dump, it right? Is. I lived in a house with two, two or three other guys when I was in you know, my 20s, and they were, they were engine guys, and one guy worked the flight line, two of us worked a test cell, right? And um, I, I remember him, he would come home, to, especially the flight line guy, the test cell, look, that was the best fucking job I ever had in my life, right? Test cell was the, you know, it was great. It, you worked hard, but yet, man, we had some good times. But the guy from the flight would come home, and he would just dump, right? Like all the shit that happened in the flight line that day, this guy was being an asshole, you know, this jet broke here, you know, uh, talking about troubleshooting. I mean, we yeah. talked about all kinds of shit and he would just use it to dump, but that's all he ever talked about. Right. Yep. We come home and he would just always just dump. Um, and I, I know, especially as, as you get later in your career, you know, Nina and Jim had a lot of parties at their house, right. Yeah. We would be back there and you know, they're three fourteen, we were three eleven, and we would talk a lot about work and about yep. individuals. And then I think it's great conversation to have, but, <laughs> it's also one dimensional right yeah. you, you don't have an, you don't have another outlet to process it there, well you don't have to, money you may not even have time that's right? true and secondary you know you, you hope for the people you're talking to are going through the same shit you are about right? validating right you know and then hey look let's let's talk about it. you know the amount of booze that you drink and the stuff that comes in during these conversations and it just um you know you're you're all of a sudden you're you're, you're upset and pissed when you get off of work and so you start drinking or whatever and you can either get more pissed right or you have the opposite effect where you just turn all mellow and everything but I, most of my my experience people get more angry <laughs> as the night goes on as the more they drink and everything and that all cycles back to you know like i told you it's a it's a big giant circle right it, it it's a huge circle i i, I don't know it's it, it it's crazy to me to think that you do something like in the work in the air force for 20 plus years and you know the fact that more more people aren't just <clears throat> going to mental health, you know, in the later stages of their career, like all day. Right. Cause, and I don't think my career was even that tough really, but yeah, I, can, no. I can, you know, you tell the story about the poor guy that the one he told me before we, we got on the podcast here, you know, dealing with that kind of stuff. Right. You know, shooting people and roadside bombs and everything. Yeah. Man, yeah. Imagine that. Right. And yeah. we're just talking about maintenance, yep. but it's really bad too. Like it's your reality at the time. You can't compare it to someone else's job. Well, you know what? So this is, this is why I, it's, for me, it almost feels worse. And I, I can't remember if I've, digested this before but like if if you're in the military and you're in a kinetic job meaning that there's a chance that you know you carry a gun and you go into places that are dangerous i feel like like if you look at uh, an army squad that's going from house to house in fallujah kicking in doors and one of your guys gets blown away by an insurgent and you fucking waste that guy or whatever and you and you try to get him back and, and you bury him and you do like the, the the battlefield cross and everything back at your Ford operating base, whatever it is, they go back out that next day. Like they don't yeah. stop because they know that in their job, death 
is an, is an absolute inevitability, either the death of the enemy or the death of one of yours, and you just got to be better to make sure it's, it's them, right? So I kind of make it, I, I kind of think of it almost as akin to a, a car accident. Like when I'm driving my car on the highway, especially now that it's snowing, and I can use that because it's snowing fucking everywhere. So, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, this is a relatable story now because the entire right. fucking country is in snow. I know there's a chance that a semi could cross over and in, a, in an instant, I'm going to be dead, right? Right. And me dying, it's like, that's just the way it was, you know. But I, I see the flight line where it's this prolonged environment where it's just really unhealthy. And and you can see it when people are coming to work and they look like a fucking corpse and they're just yeah. dragging and you know they're probably drinking on the weekends or drinking who knows and they're giving shit factors low and it's just they're fucking dragging their body in the building you know and you see it everywhere as everybody's getting beat down and then one of them one of them kills themselves oh yeah right i equate that to cancer like it's yeah. really different watching someone go from a healthy person to months where they're just wasting away and then they die. That's a totally different experience. And I, I don't mean to sound callous, but somebody that enters a kinetic career field, they understand the bargain they're making is death is a possibility and they go in that with open eyes. No one in, no one in infantry is going to be surprised if they have to kill someone or there's someone trying to kill them. That is the nature of the job. But it's so it's so different watching it in maintenance where death at no time, unless I, I thought I was fucking up or a freak of nature, did I think that death was a cost of business for aircraft maintenance. And when I see this, when I see the anecdotal evidence, because nobody will give me the real evidence of the suicides and maintenance, and I see that culture that I walked away from, you know, what is it like three years now that we've been retired? It's like watching a bunch of uh, hospice, hospice care where they're just squeezing the last little bit of productivity out of this fucking exhausted population without concern for their well-being. And, and think about this. The, the smallest changes in maintenance, right, I feel like can prevent, it could have a huge impact, a positive impact, right? So, like, the, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, those people that take those jobs, they join the Army, they join, you know, whatever, these, these dangerous jobs, you know, they go out. They understand, hey, this is what I signed up for. When you joined as a crew chief, did you know that you'd be working the freaking crazy hours, the under the stress you were working? Did you picture that as an airman? No, I, I thought I'd be working on engines. Like, hey, you know, I'm going to be working on engine. Like, who thought that? My recruiter was an F-16 crew chief. So first of all, fuck him because he could have told me. <laughs> like, it's not like it's, it's, it's not like I had like a weather uh, guy that became a recruiter. He was right. an F-16 crew chief. And he's like, yeah, it's great. Travel the world, all this stuff. Liars. I, I Well, I remember, I remember, boy, I, I, I remember it vividly. There was a guy, Andy Eisenberg, who is a fucking fantastic dude. And he got out after his first enlistment because Andy's smarter than me. <laughs> all of us. You and anybody <laughs> listening to this fucking podcast. Right. Uh, Andy got out after his first enlistment. But I remember in tech school, he was a red rope. But it wasn't the typical red rope. I think he was just a real cool dude. And he just got it. But he was like one or two classes ahead of me in tech school. So like that was like two weeks to four weeks, which felt like a fucking attorney in tech school because it sure, was like yeah. a phase ahead or whatever. But he got to he got to Luke before me. And I was, you know, a month or two behind. And I remember the first day I walked up to the three tenth. I was walking in. I was walking by the smoke pit and Andy was sitting on that on the table smoking. And he was head to toe filthy and he had bags under his eyes. And I was like, and this, you know, this is way back in the day where you didn't know people's first name. Like you legitimately didn't right. learn people's first names for like the first sure. few years of career. I was like, hey, Eisenberg, what's up? And he literally looked at me and he just didn't, he didn't even see me or recognize me or know me. And he just looked like after two fucking months, he was just cooked. And I was wow. like, Jesus Christ, like what the fuck happened to him? And it was very right. much a foreshadowing of like, yeah, you're going to work and it's just going to fucking drain you. I'm not necessarily saying that the flight line isn't hard and people don't need to work long hours and do hard work. The point is 
We need to be asking only what's required, not fucking well, everything out of these people. That's what I was saying. Like this, the smallest change, right, could have a huge impact on this entire culture and this entire circle that we've been talking about. And look, there's there's a lot of different things. And, you know, the Air Force is gigantic. It's huge, right? And um, I can't even pretend what it would be like to make decisions for on that magnitude for an entire branch of service. But let me tell you, small decisions made every day, small decisions made in the moment, right? We talked about the moment earlier. It could have a huge impact on an individual or a group or, a, you know, a squadron. And that guy that sat there that was de- defeated after two months in the Air Force, he didn't think that was going to be his life when he joined yeah. the Air Force. And most people are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed coming out of high school. You know, I'm assuming most people... You know they have this grand. You know you're going to be a you're going to be a, a you're going to be a weapons guy. You're going to be a you know a hydraulics guy, an electrician. How cool is that, right? Man, did they know what they were getting into? And it, it's it's kind of a shock, right? And I think it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And you know, hey, is this necessary? Do we need to fly yeah. this many sorties? How are we going to get the most bang for our buck? Do, hey, going up to Congress, ask for money, better iron, or you know, hey, there's all kinds of decisions that can be made that can improve this overall. But still, it still takes that one decision made by Tech Sergeant McGee or Stronsky or whoever you are in the moment that could change, uh, yeah. could have a huge impact, right? And like I told you earlier, changes happen in, in, uh, in the moments, in, in seconds. They don't happen, you know, there's big changes that happen, but it's, it takes one person, it takes one, one thing sometimes to have this huge impact and this lasting effect, right? And you just never know what that is, what it's going to be. Don't get me wrong. I don't think people need to work hard. People got to go out there and you got to bust ass and you got to do what it takes to get the job done. You know, and, and you got to you got to put up with some shit sometimes. Right. But the key term is sometimes. Right. When, it, when you when you put up with shit all the time and every, you know, months and months on end and it never gets any better. And your know, manny never gets any better and leadership never changes. And man, what's what's there left to work for? Right. What's the point? And I, I can see how people get to that point. Right. So normally I end the podcast with a request for final thoughts. I'm going to do something different now. Sure. What would you change or what would you enact? What would you do if you were the chief master on the Air Force, the chief of staff of the Air Force, the secretary of the Air Force, any one of those particular people? Let's say you had a magic wand Mm. and you could change one thing in the Air Force without any sort of like no po- no policy revisions or anything like just ding and it was that was it what would you do infinite resources infinite resources whatever you want that's a tough question right um, when you when you brought that up the first thing that came to my head and the first thing that popped in would be i'm not quite sure how i would do it or what i would do but i would i would definitely change the promotion system yeah. right um, i think that w- I think changing the way people get promoted and why they get promoted and who gets promoted, that would have a huge impact on decisions that are made for the yep. Air Force down the road, right? So you you take that senior master sergeant, that AMU, that now is a chief or could be a command chief one day or who knows what, right? You take him and he is not promoted to that position, right? It could it could have a huge impact in changes. And, you know, we talked about this podcast, who's it reaching and, you know, how does it have an effect? Am I having a big enough effect? Like I told you, I think sometimes it takes one person. It takes one one person to hear this or see this or change what they're doing. It, you, you'll you never know the impact, Chris, right? You'll never yeah, know. I know. But I, I think if I was the, one of those people, I would revamp the entire promotion system. I, I would <laughs> I would gut it and rebuild it and to ensure that the right people are getting promoted, which in turn should mean they're, they're grooming the people below them. And once again, that snowball effect takes effect and it just has a good cycle, right? That's the first thing that popped in my mind. Of course I could say, Oh, less sorties and more aircraft and better tools. And, you know, but the promotion, I mean, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build young men and young women for the future to be productive members of society. Boy, how productive are you when you get spit out of the Air Force because you've been in maintenance for six years and your back's all fucked up and you're half drunk and your wife divorced you? How is that a productive member of society when you get out, right? You're not. 
So that was a good answer. It wasn't the right answer. The right answer is uh, <laughs> your answer. You would give Chris McGee all of his FOIA requests on <laughs> suicide numbers, uh, sorties flown, fleet health, ARI referrals, mental health referral or referrals, Article 15s, uh, all of that. That was the correct That's answer. That's on the agenda. It's, it's on the agenda, right? So we'll we'll get to it. We we'll get to it. Chris. I'll tell you what. You're right. I'll tell you why you're right. If we promote the right people long enough then eventually we'll get the right people in the positions that I'm doing FOIA requests for, and they'll actually give me the fucking data. So right. you are you got the big brain. You got the the long-term look. Uh, <laughs> all right, Eric. Right. Okay. Like I said, standard ops, if uh, anything strikes your fancy, let me know. We'll fire it up and do another episode. Uh, yeah. Like, you're the most popular guest, so, you Must know. Must be my low bar, right? Could yeah, I don't, know why, bar. I, don't, I don't know why that is. <laughs> so... All right. Other than that, thanks a lot. uh, And adios.